Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 67, Act 2, Lynn's Aimer, The Power of Queer Joy, recorded May 10th, 2023. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry, powered by A Space Between. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening and supporting this indie podcast. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our global community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast and head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, e-zines, merch, and more. Have you heard of a Loke Menon? Um, they are an internationally acclaimed poet, comedian, public speaker, and actor. Uh, they are the author of Femme in Public and uh, a few other wonderful uh, publications, and the creator of Degender Fashion, an initiative for fashion and beauty industries. Um, and uh, they were, ooh, they were uh, selected as 2023's Advocate of the Year by The Advocate magazine. Um, and then there's also a documentary that's come out um, that I believe was recently in the Sundance Film Festival, um, about them. So uh, you can see them and my, you know, on all these different mediums. And I uh, had an introduction to them. uh, I would say like two, I want to say two years ago through a podcast that they were a guest on, um, called man enough. And if you haven't checked that out, that podcast is pretty great. It really is looking at, um, like changing what it means to be a man, I guess, or reframing it. Um, and they talk a lot about like toxic masculinity and those kinds of things. But my uh, uh, experience watching Alok on that was that they were discussing how living their life uh, outside of the gender binary that our society has uh, really held fast to um, and fully in their queerness really manifests such hate and how um, 
that lashing out is indicative of pain and trauma that those folks who are doing the lashing out um, have mainly because of the constructs of our society. Um, and ultimately a look, at least a, that what they were saying at the time, that they are aiming to live life from a place of love and respond to that hate with love, which I can only imagine is a lot easier said than done. But I've seen some evidence of that on their page, on their Instagram page at least. Um, but definitely is holding up a mirror to our society in a beautifully and very, very fashionable way, I will say. Um, I really appreciate uh, what they have to say and how they have to say it. Uh, the poet just like literally like flows the poetry, even when they're just speaking, just flows beautifully out of their mouth. Um, and it does make me think about um, the various queer advocates there are and what it means for young people to, to understand how advocacy and activism is really important. Um, and then more recently, I attended a workshop led by an organization called Genderwise, and they are an organization that offers engaging and accessible and interactive trainings and consulting related to gender diversity in professional and educational sp spaces. And um, I was in a professional uh, space I've mentioned, I probably, I think I've mentioned them before because I took a session with them, a similar session with them at the face-to-face -face conference last year. Um, but in this professional setting, it was really great to be able to, uh, you know, review some of the terms that I had learned. Um, and the, they gave a lot of space for people to ask questions in such a non-judgmental space, or they set up the space to be very non-judgmental, which... I think really helped a lot. And in addition to that, they showed some examples of gender expressions, um, some of which were just, you know, everyday folks, other people were uh, folks that you might see in film or television, and one was a loke. So it all comes full circle. And that brings me to Lynn's. Um, this conversation, very much appreciating it. I'm very inspired. And in the second half of our conversation, we hear a lot from Lynn's dogs. They have a lot to say, and we're here listening. <laughs> but in addition to that, we also hear from Linz uh, about the their indie podcasting space and uh, what it means to be a podcaster. And personally, on a personal note, as a podcast, I want to thank you for inviting me into your ears. Um, in addition to that, we also uh, learn about Linz's uh process of developing, writing, and ultimately publishing the Rainbow Parenting book. And FYI, they have a, a new book that's coming out soon. Uh, it's a children's book uh, called Hooray for She, He, Zay, and They. Um, and that's coming out soon, really soon. And so, yes, I would say the sort of cap of what we discuss is what it means to live and work fully in their queerness and their queer joy. Here is episode 67, act two, Linz Amer, The Power of Queer Joy. Is your web series a podcast as well? So the web series is like, that's YouTube. That's, I mean, I made, that's like an indie production. That is like, I mean, that's off the charts, right? Like that, I don't have to answer to any kind of industry outside of like, you know, 
social media algorithms, which just like want you to like create, 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 constant, 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 go, go, go. And like that's not sustainable for anyone. Certainly not me. Um, and then so like that's just kind of been like my own pace. I could do whatever I want to do with my own outlets for creativity. Um, and then podcasting. Um, yeah, so I have my own podcast. It's called Rainbow Parenting. It's an expansion of my book, essentially. Um, talk a lot about the intersections of queerness, transness, and childhood. Um, and uh, podcasting is also like a very indie space. I it, It's very democratized essentially um sure there's like your spotify's and your iheart radios and stuff like that but it feels it just like feels a little more chill like it's long form content like the people who are listening to you are like there for you like podcasting is very especially the audiences for podcasting are very like dedicated and intimate like I like this is like I talk I've talked about this before about podcasts is just like I'm in your ears like I'm in your brain like isn't that wild like I can be like taking up space in your thoughts like it's extremely intimate I'm in your head right and like there's just something about podcasting that like you know, we, we talk about like parasocial relationships, right? With like social media. But like, I think, you know, a lot of that is visual. But I think with podcasts, like the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis, like if I like saw them somewhere, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's like my friend Chad. <laughs> uh, but like, they don't have any idea who I am. So. <laughs> there's a lot of podcasts. There's so many podcasts. And there's still so many more that could, that will be and could be created. And I agree, like, the creative space of podcasting is, this is an indie project. This is my, like, baby. And I have a, a great team working with me. But a lot of it is, like, we have autonomy. Yeah, like, so we're like, what do we want to do this season? <laughs> who do we want to talk to this season? It's not like somebody's telling us who and what and how. Um, and I agree with the with you in terms of the audience, like, I, uh, you know, most of the people who are listening are in my borough, <laughs> you know, they're right here and they'll, you know, I'll see people who are like, Oh, I just listened to you on my run today or, you know, and you don't, you don't know me, but I listen to you and I'm in your head, you know? And, and I, so that, that the other way is interesting to, for people to, you know, be really appreciative of what you have to offer, what you're outputting um, and being that that immediate like the immediacy and the intimacy and the the fact that people think that they know me because they listen to me and I'm in their head and I do share quite a bit about my life uh, <laughs> through through this so I can I can get that but like then I, I don't I don't know you and I don't you know like if I ever feel if I ever seem offstandish uh, it's not because I don't want to hear the lovely things that you have to say it's more like thank you. <laughs> you know thanks uh keep keep on listening telling people but the but the idea of you know something i haven't really thought about is the segmentation and the different creative in industries about 
you know, and then even within a spectrum, even within one industry, there's still like shades. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, I I find it very fascinating. I also find it like, I'm curious to, to ask somebody else about it, but not curious enough to like get in it. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, so talk to talk to us about the, the book. Like this is your debut or, or you know what, actually, before we go to the book, cause I really, I'm so curious. I'd like to write a book. Glacial. Talk about glacial. I've been talking about writing a book at least since I started this podcast, which is six years ago. <laughs> and I have, I have, I written it No. So I originally got my literary agent because I wanted to write a picture book and had a hard time figuring that out. And I gave a TED Talk in 2019, and I went to my agent and was like, hey, maybe I could turn this into a nonfiction book. People seem to like it. And so we spent two years working on the proposal because um, when you want to write a nonfiction book, uh, you sell a proposal. You don't sell the full manuscript. Thank goodness. Um, Little things that people don't tell you. and took us like two years to get that together. Also, there was a pandemic and lockdown in the middle of all of that. So, <laughs> so that certainly slowed things down even more. Um, we ended up, we sold it in, I think, March of 2021. Um, had to revise it on notes from, you know, editors who were interested but wanted to, you know, finesse it a little bit. And then... It's taken from then, March 2021, through about this time last year, I sent in my, like, final manuscript, Um, and then it's been a full year of, like, them getting it to the printer, going through copywriting, and just, like, all the different kinds of passes you have to get it through, and all, and, like, legal, and all that stuff. Um, So, yeah, since March 2021, this has kind of like been like the full process of this book and uh it was really hard to write books are really hard to write um not gonna sugarcoat it it this was I think particularly a difficult book to write it's like it's a parenting book which is like a lot of like practical guidance and like stuff like that but also um it's it's got memoir weaved into it a little bit and um Uh, I think the thing that's like that was hard about this book is I was really like honing the like voice and like kind of like writing style of it because I hadn't done a lot of work for adults Um, because I mean queer kids stuff coming from theater for young audiences like that's all just like very like kid focused and I hadn't kind of like shifted into like the adult mode yet and so I had to kind of like do that I was as I was writing which made it more difficult um and it's just a lot of words like my the book is like over 200 pages and like it came out around like 58,000 words and like that's a lot of words it really is um and uh and there's also just like a lot of like emotional labor and um I think just for like this particular book emotional labor and just like I do a lot of like helping the reader unpack their like internal biases around like queerness and transness and all that stuff and um 
that also made it difficult because that meant I had to do the work of that emotional labor. <laughs> but now it's done. I can just hand someone the book and be like, you're giving, this is a microaggression. Here's a book. <laughs> um, so hopefully I've, in doing like however long's worth of emotional labor, I hope that I've like taken that off my chest and like put it into the book and it can live there. Um, but yeah, not going to sugarcoat it. Writing books is really hard. It's uh, not a light endeavor. But um, if you have the willpower, I say go for it. Because as hard as it was, I'm really proud of this book. And I'm really excited for people to read it and for it to be out in the world. And for it to hopefully contribute to the conversation, especially in this current political climate. And I just, I hope it can be a tool that people can use. When did you write? Like, what time of day did you write? How did, how, how long did the write, the actual writing take? When did you, did you, did you go on artist retreats? Did you, did you like hole yourself up in your closet and do it? Yeah, totally. Like, how did I actually make it happen? Um, I don't think I did any writing retreats. I don't do this. Um, do not do as I say, not as I do. Um, I gave, I was silly and gave myself six months to write the book, which um, was not was not a smart idea. Most people either take between like nine to 12 months to like write a full book. Um, I did not know what I was doing when I wrote that number down in my proposal. Um, so I also decided that that six months when I was going to write my book um, were also probably some of the busiest months of my life. I, uh, it was, June was one of those months and uh, June is the busiest month of my year every year um, as a professional queer and trans person. Um, people remember that we exist in June and June only. Um, so, <laughs> so that's always fun. Um, and then I also got married that month. Um, so was in the middle of planning a wedding and yeah, again, do as I say, not as I do. I used, I used a program called Scrivener, which is a great, um, manuscript like writing software and it lets you kind of like write different sections, um, in kind of like, it's like basically like a digital like binder. Um, and so you have like, can have like different like sections like split up and you can like move them around within the book um so I found that really helpful and it also had a feature where you could like set um word count goals for yourself um to be able to like so I had to hit like 60,000 words by a certain deadline uh, around and so like I you know it was able to give me like okay you have to read you have to write 500 words in order to like stay on your pace today and so I'm like okay like I'm I'm having a good day right now so like bang out 2,000 words and then like your word count like goals have to like get lower and lower and then like if you miss a couple of days they get higher and so it became like a little bit of a game and my like ADHD brain like needs that <laughs> um and then I also use the Pomodoro method, um, which is, it's kind of like a timer method. So you work for 20 like super focused minutes and then you take a five minute break and then you do another 20 minutes and then a five minute break and you do like four of those in a row and then you take like a longer break and then you go back to it. So that was really, really helpful for like my brain. Um, so 
yeah, I think I like tried to block off like mostly like full days when I could write. I'm not really a person who can just like write a little bit in the morning and then put it down. I really, if I'm gonna, if I'm having a good writing day, I can just kind of like go all day if I have the time. Um, but it really just like kind of depends. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really like, I have to bang out a thousand words every morning before work. Um, that's tough for me. Um, so that's just kind of how that worked. But yeah, the goal setting and like the daily word count with like the thing and like also giving myself room to like have bad days and good days was really helpful. I mean, you must have a lot of grace for yourself, right? I try. <laughs> yeah, I just took notes. Thank you. Um, because I someday, someday I might do it. But you know, here's, here's a, another question I have is why a book in all the sorts of media that you're clearly engaged with? Why a book? part of it just like it felt like the right format um something like long form to just like put down like essentially like the body of knowledge I've developed from my expertise um it there were when I was like doing the TED talk and I was kind of like in a cohort of other like TED speaker people who were developing their talks at the same time um there I knew people from there who like either were writing books or like had written a book or were about to come out with their book. And so it kind of, I think in the space that I was at with that, it felt like an organic next step. You can sell it and you get an advance. The writing of it is the making it. Like when you sell a book to a publisher, like they take care of production, they print things, like they produce it, they make it happen. Like, I just have to put the words on the page and, like, that's my responsibility. And, then like, now that I'm at, like, the very back end of it, of it about to launch, like, I have to promote it, right, and market it. But for the most part, my job has been very clear on the book, whereas – and also, like, I think, like, less – less of like a a monetary investment from me to an extent like with the web series with the podcast like those are like indie endeavors that have taken a lot of my own finances to make happen and um me writing a book is time and labor but like is less expensive in that like I'm not having to pay other people to create things for me if that makes sense so like it's not that it's less expensive because it took up a lot of my time, but I was also like sort of paid for that time. And also like, I'm going to get royalties on the book. So like that pays for it. So it, yeah, it just kind of like, and it's just like a good, like people can pick up this book and like, just like download all of the information in my brain, basically like around this topic. And like, that is just going to do so much good work for me and like help me like level up my career. Like I can start asking for more money at speaking gigs. Like there's just, you know, continuing to add to my bona fides in like an organic way that is going to help me up my career. Because I mean, the big dreams and goals are like, you know, sell and make a, trans-led preschool show happen and like you know maybe reboot queer kid stuff with like real money and like you know getting stuff to happen in the tv film world is a lot harder 
because it's expensive. And like, there's a reason why it honestly is easier to get a book deal than it is to get a TV deal because, you know, (laughs) book printers, they have, you know, a set amount of pages they have to print each year, right? Like that, like those presses are, go. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think this is how books work. Is that like, you know, they have those presses going all year round, right? They have to have words to put onto them. They have to, I think, have a certain number of books that they put out every year. That's not necessarily true in the same way with TV film. Um, everything has to be everything about TV film has to be created and it's just and like theater in the same way right like everything has to be constructed and like placed there purposefully and meaningfully and books I think are just a little bit less of a lift to make like materialize and um, it just like felt like a natural progression um, for what I wanted to do. You have been quite intentional about not only the the nature of the book, the content of the book, and the making of the book, but the why, um, and the what the what the what will come once it's out into the world, um, in terms yeah. of impacts. I also think a little bit of it is just about like how my yeses have played out, because I think that like, you know, so much of what I do is just like let's dream big, let's try for things, let's throw a little spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And, like, not everything has stuck. Like, I've been, I was trying to sell a picture book since, like, 2017, and I sold it November of 2021. Like, it took us a long time to get a yes on that. And, like, that yes happened after the yes for the nonfiction book. So, like, so like it it on I'm glad it looks meaningful and purposeful from the outside from the inside it feels a lot like I was just trying everything and like trying to figure out what the next step is and what the next part of the pathway is and like putting myself in making stuff and like trying to put myself in the way of good things and you know I got I got so many no's so many no's I I mean I apply to grants all the time different residencies and cohorts and and all of these things and like I think the entire year of 2019 I got I don't think I got a single yes on anything so like there are certainly years that are like that and I think from the outside um it maybe looks (laughs) I'm glad it looks purposeful but uh you know every yes is like a million no's and I think that it certainly has worked out the way it's supposed to um but that doesn't mean it's been like easy or like as purposeful in getting there than it has just been like, okay, this is like, this is the pathway that I, a pathway of many pathways that I was trying to go down and this one cleared itself for me. And so I took it um, when I had the opportunity and have followed that path and have seen where it's brought me and it's brought me here. 
And here's pretty good. It, it is pretty good. And I appreciate what you're saying. I'd like to tie um, your creative processes, including TYA, to, you know, what what how have you developed into would you call yourself you know would you say you have an expertise in this world you know how how have you cultivated your knowledge into uh into where you are now through these different creative uh, mediums yeah i mean i think it certainly started with tya and then i kind of niched that down into looking at um like queerness within TYA and children's storytelling. Um, I think from there, I really realized that there just wasn't a lot there in that um, and have had to kind of figure my own way around that and started the web series and that took off and really kind of like started this like, career path for me right between starting your web series which i think you said was 2016 or 2017 2016 yeah 2016 and college uh, like end of college like what happened in that period in between that gave you some expertise to to be doing the kind of work that you're doing now my senior year of undergrad i directed a play called the transition of doodle pequeño by gabriel jason dean that is a lovely lovely play for elementary school ish i think um and it features one of the characters as a boy who likes to wear dresses and it's one of the very few um kind of like queerish characters in theater for young audiences that i think really exists still and this is back in 2014 when i graduated um and you know it's uh i kind of left tya essentially for a couple of years and i've kind of slowly been dipping my toes back in and um uh, I think the unfortunate discovery that I've made is like things really have not changed a whole lot since I left even in like, I mean, I didn't leave in 2014, but um, that was, those were really my formative years in the TYA space. And uh, really a lot has not changed since then, um, which is like the hard truth of it all. And is why I left. <laughs> um, so I did that in 2014, the play Doodle. Um, and just like had a really formative experience. Um, we tried to tour it. I mean, it was a lovely play. It was my first time directing. I had a w- awesome time. Like it was just, it was just a really lovely experience. And then we tried to tour it to the local Evanston area. And one of, we only got three um, schools that booked it. And uh, one of them ended up canceling. And the first school that we went to, like the principal like came up to me. I talk about this in the book. Um, the principal like came up to me, you know, we were in like an auditorium. It wasn't really a stage. I was just like standing right there, like next to like our like cardboard set. And this like principal's in my face. And I'm like, the kids can see us. Like what is going on? Um, and yeah, that was like, that was tough. <laughs> um, especially, I mean, I was what, like 22, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never like come up against that before. I'd never had like, you know, homophobia, like in my face like that. And, you know, in front of an auditorium of children and it, uh, that was tough certainly. And I kind of like took that experience and I was like, okay, like, like there's something here about what I'm doing that feels important 
and for for me personally but also like there's something about like this nerve I'm hitting that I was interested in I was just kind of like why does this set people off why does it like why is it so polarizing because the last school that we went to we like the principal got up and was just like, this is a really important play. Like, I want you all to pay attention. And like, just like this really beautiful, lovely speech. And I was just kind of like, it's so wild to come from this, like, you know, this teacher who's like, this is inappropriate for children. And then this person who's like, this is so beautiful and important. And I, I think I was, there was just something about that that like really intrigued me and like I wanted to dig deeper into. And so I left Northwestern and ended up going to and did a year of um, grad school abroad in London. I did the Queen Mary University of London program, which is kind of like a performance, more like generalized like performance studies program. And you kind of like put your own expertise onto it. Um, and so I did a lot of like weird like performance art stuff. <laughs> it was like it totally the opposite of Northwestern. Very like I had a hard time with it because it was so like like anti-structure. Um, like I, I feel like at Northwestern, I learned just like very technical theater of like how to put on a play. These are all the roles that people take on. This is how you do this. And then when I went to this program in London, it was just kind of like, you know, this one person in my class, like did this, um, did this like live art piece where she had commercials playing for like, um, uh, menstrual products like tampons and pads um, and she took off all of her clothes and she got this like blue gel stuff and like put it all over her body because that's what they use in those commercials the like blue gel instead of showing like red menstrual blood and um, she was just like naked on stage with this like blue gel all over her and like that's what I was <laughs> doing in grad school is like doing my like weird like oh I like do queer kid like do queer queer kids like stuff for kids and like try and do like queer themes for like for like an all ages audience and I was like trying to figure out what that was in this kind of like very like experimental environment and I think I ended up kind of somewhere in the middle um because I do think that there is a bit of like an aspect of performance art to what I do there's a very like like in your faceness especially to like queer kid stuff and I think that that like is really informed like certainly from the TYA background and like the tone of it and like the visual vocabulary of it, then there's, I think, uh, this, yeah, this like in your face, like it's called queer kid stuff, right? So like, it's also taking from like the queer theory classes that I took when I was at Northwestern as well. So like kind of smushing the TYA and the gender theory, queer theory together. And then this kind of like other thing that came out of this like left field of this like performance art, that's like, okay, like, I'm going to call this like queer kid stuff. And I'm just going to be like in your face about it. And I am going to like grab my teddy bear and my ukulele and I'm going to like sing joyfully about like, it's okay to be gay. That's going to be the opening lyric of the theme song. And like, you cannot escape my queer joy in front of these kids. And like, if that like 
gets at that nerve for you, like that is your freaking problem. And uh, I think <coughs> that's definitely something that's made by work polarizing for people is like, I am going to put this like queer joy just like right up there in your face. And like, you can't like, like you can't shut it off and you can't like escape it. And I think there's something about that that really um, forces people to grapple <clears throat> with like, what about that makes them uncomfortable? Because it's in such a like wholesome container. Yeah. So I think like all three of those things were really important in like figuring out how my work would come together. And I mean, also part of it is that like when I was living in London, I was really homesick and uh, imagine being homesick for America. Um, <laughs> and I started watching like a lot of queer American YouTubers and that's kind of like where I saw the platform and I was like, okay, like queer people are on this. That's cool. They can like make their own stuff. That's cool. Like you don't have to answer to any gatekeepers. That's cool. There's a lot of educational content on here. Hmm. That's interesting. Oh, there's educational content for and entertainment for kids, like young kids. Oh, maybe this is a place where I could make something of my own that could just be fun, that could actually reach people and reach the audience that it's intended for without having to deal with, like, school shows getting canceled, right? And, um, yeah, I just, uh, and, like, it's a platform that, like, is built for that kind of content. Was it supportive and a great place for me to be online not necessarily but like it it served a purpose and like a, a container for what I was doing that for work that like really I couldn't figure out where it could exist otherwise so so I do have that question about backlash or what kind of feedback and responses you're getting to any of of your work whether it's the uh but, I, you know, I love what you just said about queer joy in your face. <laughs> uh, so much of what how I look at it is like, you know, from a place of being a black woman uh, and really supporting and uplifting and celebrating black people and believing black people, especially black women. You know, the idea of joy and, you know, the hashtag black joy, black girl magic, all of that is about, you know, honoring the fact that we should be able to frolic we should be able to be free without being um you know worried that we're going to be killed on a subway for example um so so or anywhere frankly um but i'm just you know so that i i love that image and i i definitely feel like when i watched it i was like this is joyful and i love it and i think that that hits a nerve too because so many people are not able to express themselves the way that they really want to or feel like they're not able to but yeah i'm just curious about response yeah i mean it's been extremely polarizing the entire time i've been making this work i mean yeah certainly the formative experience of doing doodle at that show um at that school and like how that's you know was very really foreshadowed kind of like everything that i've seen play out over my career um so I mean, queer kid stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was my like first project out of grad school. Like imagine that taking off, getting picked up by like the Huffington Post and then getting 
picked up by the Daily Stormer, which is a neo-Nazi um, publication online. Um, so just like thousands of Nazis in my comments. And like I'm Jewish and like <laughs> that was uh, <clears throat> I hadn't really dealt with anti-Semitism to that extent uh, to, at that point in my life. And I mean, I grew up in again in New York, just, you know, Jewish capital of outside of Israel, the world. Um, and yeah, it was really tough. I mean, over the last, I mean, it was, and it was constant and consistent the entire time I was making queer kid stuff. And like, I made queer kids, I started in 2016, like literally as Trump was like in the primary race for his presidential election. And, uh, it was quite a time to be doing that on YouTube. And, uh, I mean, this is, I mean, that's where the, like, you know, alt-right neo-Nazi pipeline literally existed. So it was really difficult. It was really tough. Um, the past year, my therapist diagnosed me with PTSD from it. Like it was, it was really hard. And I think I ended the web series in 2019 for a lot of reasons, but like a big one was that I just couldn't handle it anymore. I just, I couldn't do it. It wasn't creatively fulfilling enough for, or like financially <laughs> viable enough for me to kind of continue on with it at that point in my life. And I mean, there were other reasons too, mostly practical. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I've really never been able to exist normally on the internet ever since. Um, I like even like la like honestly ever since I stopped the web series, I've still been creating and making stuff, but I've been a little bit more off the radar. I've been doing a lot of kind of like behind the scenes work, and now I'm kind of like in this moment before the book launch where like I'm about to kind of like poke my head up out of the sand again. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, hi world, I'm back. Hi, I've 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 been away, but I'm coming back hesitantly. Um, but. Yeah, I'm in this, like, interesting position. But um, even, like, last year, I was, like, checking out TikTok for the first time and, like, made an account and was, like, trying was starting to post videos of my own. And then, like, libs of TikTok found me, of course. And then they – and so, like, sicked all their followers on me. And so I was, like, ugh, great, a wave of hate, cool. And then they – but, like, they didn't realize who I was. And then they found me again, and then someone tipped them off and was, like, oh, this is, like, this person, blah, blah, blah. And I was just – and I was just, like, okay, this isn't worth it. We're going to lock down this account. And so I'm I'm kind of, like, just coming back to TikTok to, like, promote my book. And I'm just uh, – and I'm having to, like, rebuild that again because I was off of it for a year because I just can't – I just can't live on the internet like a normal everyday person because of my work and my history but also just like you know living as a queer trans person out in the world right now so uh yeah it certainly is not my favorite part of the job but uh just unfortunately comes with the territory and I think something that I've had to like figure out and reconcile with is like okay this is just a reality of my work is that it's there's like a double-edged swordness to it all of like this thing that brings me and I think a lot of people great joy also brings me a lot of pain um on a personal level and that's just 
something I've had to like figure out and understand how to take care of myself. Um, and I have a very good therapist and I play a lot of video games and do self care. <laughs> and that's been a learning and like focus a lot on my family and like my two ridiculous dogs who are <laughs> very unhappy with me right now. Um, but you know, you know, building my personal life that's away from my career and, you know, it, that's that's been a really, really important part of my, like, healing. Oh, Linz. I really enjoy listening to you talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, can we dream a little bit, though? Let's just dream as a as a wrapping up moment. Uh, yeah. So like what are what are some big questions that you're asking yourself about your work and what are some hopes that you have for for the next iteration of your professional life something that's interesting about this point in my career right now is that I feel like I'm kind of moving into like a second like a new chapter it feels kind of like sophomore album situation right now because I've been working on all especially the book uh, for the last two years right and now I'm that's like kind of coming out into the world and the picture book's going to come out into the world next year and so those kind of feel like my, like, f outside of queer kid stuff, like my freshman entries into, like, the mainstream world of content um, and creative, my creative body of work. Um, and so now I'm kind of like, okay, like, what's, what's the next thing I'm going to make? And I, 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 something I've been thinking about is, like, my muse has been, like, my creative, my, my, like, creative muse has been my inner child for a long time, and I think I've, like, done a lot of, like, good healing on that inner child, and now I'm kind of, like, okay, maybe I, like, need a little bit of a new muse, so I feel like I'm, like, a little bit in between muses right now, so I've really been, like, struggling a bit with what the next thing is, but I've got, like, a couple of things in the works, so I'm not too worried about it, but, like, my manager in TV film and I, we've been trying to sell a trans or non-binary led preschool animated show for the last like year and a half. Um, that's been tough. We've been trying to figure that out and I've been trying to do more work in that space. But as we've said, that space is um, in the middle of a complete implosion. So we'll see where the dust settles on all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping that, like, people like the book and it contributes to the conversation and I can use that to gain a little leverage so that people take me more seriously in some of these mainstream spaces and, like, let me have a little bit of money and a little bit of power to, like, do some really cool stuff um, that I'm excited about and, like, have just been coming up against too many obstacles to, like, make happen right now and... That's certainly something that I hope for the book that like it can help me kind of propel into this next stage of my career. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to like, you know, make a trans led preschool show that people love like ugh, that would be incredible. Um, I'm excited to continue to hone my voice as a picture book author. I'm excited to continue building my business around queer kid stuff and like actually give myself like a sustainable salary like I'm in my 30s now like I gotta <laughs> like we're trying to like build a family and like I gotta you know make this career stable like 
I, this is, you know, I, I didn't get into it for the money. So, <laughs> um, but it would be nice if it paid off eventually. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, to work, t continue working toward those big dreams and like make that a reality. And like, I really think that, you know, 22 year old me who was directing Doodle would be really proud of where I've, where I've ended up and like the successes that I've had. And, you know, it's been, it hasn't been easy getting here by any means, but I think that, um, I'm really happy with how it's turned out so far. And I, I also like, I think I've really proven to myself that I'm capable of a lot. And, um, if I want to do something, either that thing happens or something just as good <laughs> usually does. And uh, eventually after a lot of grinding and hustling, um, so I'm just, I'm excited to see where my ambitions continue to lead me in this work and like who I can pull along along the way. Cause I think that like, it's not, this is not just about me. This is about building out a body of work of queer and trans work for young people. And that is a much larger endeavor than like any one person um, can hope for. So yeah, hoping to clear a path for that yeah the hopes are that I can continue making cool things and bigger and better things and that I can help make more of this possible for other people who want to do it too well I usually uh, end with uh do you have anything that you want to ask me if you have seen any kind of progress within the TYA space around queerness and transness, because I've, I've seen some stuff, but I'm really, because you're someone who's very embedded in that space. I'm really curious if, if you've seen, if you've made observations about where things are going. So I have, I have more and more trans kids in my life um, uh, from friends and community members. And I'm, often wondering you know what what's what feels like the kind of information that they're gathering the spaces that they're gathering tend to be more adult than on on their for age appropriate I, I would say um let alone but but there's more books I guess and you know there's there are some media and you know we've got the um the start the conversation um resources uh that i'm interested in but in terms of tya or theater for young audiences as you were talking about it um i was thinking wow we need you to come back <laughs> we need you to come back because i i feel like there more recent uh in the last couple of years has been a push to to diversify without a doubt even before the pandemic there was a push to say you know we've got to get more more varied kinds of stories on our stages um, because we're not necessarily, you know, we're, we, we have found a way to say, you know, when most of the stories were centered around cisgendered kids, cisgendered white kids. Um, and we weren't using that language then, but like when that was, that was the centering uh, kind of characters generally, um, regardless of what what kind of story it was being was being told or shared um that it wasn't representative of a lot of our audiences and or the other way around like 
this is an opportunity for, you know, like stories are universal, <laughs> which is bullshit, frankly. Um, so I think the big push right now has been on a more eth- ethnic and racial uh, um, pathway as in terms of identities and diversifying and less so on the um, gender affirming uh, trans non-binary level um, LGBTQ you know like it just I I I remember we we presented a work by Ty Defoe uh, called Aji Jack on Turtle Island and um he identifies as, as two spirit and indigenous. And so there's been a lot of interesting conversations around the two spirit and understanding just like, this has always been (laughs) like the binary that has been created is not actually real. Like that's just, it's a construct, but because we're so deeply, deeply steeped in it, it like this, that's why I think that's part of the reason why, you know, there is this polarization because you know you're taught one way and it's been very clearly taught in that way for a very long time but that doesn't mean that any of that's real and so i think that's part of the dis- the the cognitive dissonance and like trying to wrap your head around like but i this is what i know and holding really tightly to it as opposed to being able to and then you said something about the you know really we've we've done research on um, how important it is to um, be able to share works on our stages that would um, uh, where audiences would have uh, varying degree uh, different kinds of um, emotional responses and that all of them none of them are better or worse but that 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 is the full spectrum is important to engage and um, portray so to that end, ha- has there been more research, more conversation, more intentionality? Yes. Has there been a really strong influx of works that um, celebrate and uplift the LGBTQ plus community within TYA USA? I would say is debatable and is needed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can look at the cross sections of, I'm not going to say intersectionality, but like the cross sections of identities would be really, really important too. So I'm not, I'm not currently making theater for young audiences, but I am, um, you know, there's actually a conference that's happening literally as we speak. Um, and there's TYA USA, which has a much better understanding of the the field from a not from a across the nation and i feel like this this they could be really interesting to talk to to learn more like what what where are the gaps how could you know resources like you have in terms of the book in terms of any of your of your other medium projects could be supporting folks to start engaging artists who are interested in making making theater in in this particular space yeah i know the people who want to make it are out there i think that there's yeah lack of resources certainly no it's helpful to have a little bit of like an inside perspective especially especially since i've you know tepidly been tipping dipping my toes back in but like not fully and i've 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 certainly been observing and seeing things a little bit 
but it's always, you know, getting from someone who's like a little bit more inside than I have been over the last couple of years. It's interesting to see and um, <laughs> validate <laughs> some of my observations. <laughs> well, again, I think the idea of queer joy is a powerful and important image. And I, I want to see how that can manifest in, in lots of different spaces, including TYA. Linz, thank you so much for your time and your extra time. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been really lovely. Thank you for listening to episode 67, act two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Linz Amer, The Power of Queer Joy. Join us next time for a conversation with Jaron Herman. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.